It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. Certain decades are remembered for music more than others. Well, my guest has dedicated himself to one specific decade, although as a musician and singer, he can play and sing it all. He's Jeffrey Bryan. He's bringing the Totally 70s show, starring the KTEL All-Stars, to Notoriety Live in Neonopolis, downtown Las Vegas, this Thursday, July 6th at 7.30. For ticket information, go to NotorietyLive.com. And for everything about the show, go to the Totally70Show.com, and you can also, go to JeffreyBrianMusic.com with a Y and follow him on Facebook and YouTube. And Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ira. I'm a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. How did you decide on the 70s versus I would decide on the 30s or the 40s because I'm 102 years old. So how did you decide <laughs> on, the, on the 70s as the, the genre well, and the period of time to focus on? Sure. It's actually a pretty easy decision for most musicians, songwriters especially, the 70s were where it started, the craft of songwriting for pop, primarily. Um, you know, you had great songwriters in the 50s and the 60s. Well, you think the like 70s. the Americans, the Great American Songbook? Yes, I would think so. It, there, yeah, exactly. And and that that era, you know, even though I was probably too young to really truly experience it, it it's the one that the records were handed down to me from that era. Um, I feel... Uh, a connection to that that uh, time period, especially because the way music was approached in that time period is is so uh, so electrifying. It's so magical for us. Uh, at least that's why we chose that that. Uh, that's that's kind of why we we love that era. Well, know? was it was it the production techniques, the beat, or all of it? What, what was it that singled it out for you it, and the group? I, well, it's a couple things, really. First of all, songwriting primarily. It, it's just that it was the era of the songwriter. Even though you had these great albums, it was they 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 were able to to marry great songwriting with great production. It was the first time it probably happened in history. Um, of course, now you know things have grown and changed and and evolved. But that was where it all started. And I think for a musician, there's a lot of um, nostalgia built on that. Plus, you know, mm -hmm. when you're 10 years old and the first records you got were, were of that era, they they have a, a long lasting effect on you. So it's almost impossible for me to separate that. You know, I hear a song from Andrew Gold from 1975 and I'm already, you know, I'm 10 years old again. You know, <laughs> I think they call it imprinting. Yeah, right. yeah, imprinting. Yeah, yeah. yeah imprinting. Yeah. It imprints on yeah. your on your brain, so that, that that's what it is for you. Yeah, it's glued there, and uh, so you know it. There, it, it might be somewhat of a, an age related thing, but truthfully, that period is still holding true today because of the fact that I think a lot of the craftsmanship and the 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 way things were created set the bar, you know, for 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 the future. Give us an example of what you're talking about. Jeff, in this sense, can I call you Jeff as opposed to Jeffrey? No, absolutely. Okay. So give us an example of what we're talking about here or what you're talking about in the sense of the kind of song, the kind of beat, the kind of production, what distinguished it or that whole catalog from any other era? It's a number of things, honestly. Uh, first of all, people that played music in that era 
actually played the music. They they didn't have a computer to help them. And I'm, right. I'm not I'm not knocking today's music. Everything evolves and changes, and there are there's good and bad in every decade you want to look at, including today. But in that era, there was no other choice. You didn't have a computer to go to. You couldn't redo it in the mix. You recorded it over if you couldn't do it, and you were wasting time and money if you couldn't play it well. So it forced you to become a better musician. That's one. The second thing. Lyrics and vocals were primary. It was all about songwriting. It was all about telling great stories. And um, the production was, was something that was a, an enhancement to your story. Um, later on, you know, with, with uh, disco and then even more closer to now, you've got dance music and trance and, and house and other types of styles of music that came up. And the production was everything. But, th but that era, it was songwriting vocals, lyrics, and production. And also the be, the be, to have the ability to translate from the recording studio to the stage. Well, you know, it's interesting. In the, the actual truth about that is most of the bands didn't, didn't actually play the, the music as accurately as some of the bands do today on their, their songs. And the reason for that is because they didn't have tracks. They didn't have computer aids mm -hmm. and things. So back then, it was either get five more guys, <laughs> yeah. or make it, or, or deal with it. Right. And and so there's there's a magic to that too. You could go to a concert, and you could see a completely different product than you got on the record, or mm -hmm. you might get both. And and so it was. It's just a magical time period. It'll never come again. And I think it uh, it left an indelible mark in history. I want to ask you about the group itself, but before we do that, give, give us an example. We've been talking about these songs. What song for you stands out as the epitome of the 70s in what you are talking about, production and writing and presentation, etc.? Oh, wow. There's so many. Oh, um, I know. But you could do yeah. two or three if you want. I just want yeah, to get a I sense mean, of it for our listeners and viewers. More Than a Feeling by Boston, for example. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, I mean, Tom Schultz, what he, he invented the sound that's on that record. It didn't exist before he created it. it uh, the way he recorded his guitars, for example. Um, you know, anything Elton John did, you know, was, was, was just groundbreaking. Uh, I mean, I can go on and on. If you want to talk specific songs, uh, just the way songs like, um, Andrew Gold's Lonely Boy. You know, uh, you may not think much of it, but it, it, it's a pop song. But it's if you listen to it, it's much more than that. It's it's got so much depth and and um, layers to it that uh, is unusual for just a simple pop song today. You know, how did you come about with the name Ktel All Stars? Because I always in my brain, which is damaged uh, irrevocably. I always think of KTEL Records and watching those commercials on television, but this is the KTEL All-Stars. So how did the group form? How did you become a part of it? And tell us that, that little journey that sure. you all took. The, the idea was we wanted to create a rock concert straight out of the 1970s. And we wanted it to feel like you stepped into a time machine. And one thing we noticed when we were doing our research and getting the band together was that there were these these KTEL records yeah. <laughs> from this company called KTEL. Right. <laughs> that they used to make uh, choppers and dicers and kitchen aids and all kinds of junk that they used to sell. And they got into the music business and started chopping up songs and sticking them on compilation records. And the music business 
the music industry was not too happy about it because they would change the records and cheapen them a little bit because they put them on cheap vinyl. But if you were a 10 year old and you went to the record store and you picked up one of these records, it had Kiss, it had Olivia Newton-John, it had Neil Diamond, it had, you know, Little River Band, it had a collection of songs that you couldn't get unless you just listened to the radio and recorded it off the radio. And so it was sort of like Spotify playlists before Spotify existed, only it was on a record. And they made this very famous and it became kind of a a running joke in the industry. You know, you know I'm on a K-Tel record. They ended up selling more records because of it, but they didn't want to admit it. Mm-hmm. And we just thought it would be uh, kind of kind of tongue in cheek, but but it was a serious thing. And so we thought, well, all the songs we're going to play have appeared on a KTEL record from nineteen <laughs> from nineteen seventy right. to nineteen seventy nine. Right. One hit wonders and top ten hits. So we were going to be the <laughs> the living version of a KTEL record. Do most people get the joke? They do. Certain age groups do. Right. And um, you know, obviously, anyone over forty probably remembers a KTEL record in their parents' collection or whatever. Right. But, I just remember um, the commercials on television with KTEL Records presents. K-Tel. And, yeah, that whole thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. K-Tel you know, Records, they, yeah. I think even Saturday Night Live did spoofs on them with, with, the, with the, the Bassomatic, remember that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dan Aykroyd, you know, uh, yeah. blending a bass. <laughs> and just to, be, just to be historical or historic, uh, this succeeds, not precedes, the Columbia Record Club. Right. Yes. The Columbia Record Club was really more toward the 80s. Uh, where you pay a penny and then you right. you're, you're, exactly. you own they own your soul for life. <laughs> you know? We all did it. Oh yeah. Um, but the, but Ktel, I you know I remember those records were handed down to me, and I, you know I wouldn't know you know that, that's how I was introduced to Kiss from a Ktel record, mm-hmm. or, or there were uh, the Guess Who on a Ktel record. You know, um, even some '60s artists that ended up on a '70s Ktel compilation became relevant again Mm -hmm. and it was all because of these silly compilations and they they kind of when you think about ktel it screams 1970s so we said yeah that's got to be the name (laughs) exactly a little bit worried about you know copyright infringement so we changed the name of the whole show to the totally 70s show and the band just happens to be the ktel all-stars no that makes sense also too ktel had that sense of it being radio call sign so KTEL could be west of the Mississippi, right. some radio station yeah. somewhere, probably in Barstow, yeah. who knows. So that's great. So did, were you involved in the initial formation of the group? Yeah. Uh, Larry Hampton, the guitar player, actually, and Brian Paulson and myself, we started the group. It was going to be a four-piece originally. Uh, and then it it kind of morphed originally. And this is still partly true. We We try extremely hard to make sure that whatever instruments that were played on the records are the ones we're using live. And um, I'm a keyboard player, and that's like, you know, a dream for me. Sure. So, you know, Wurlitzers and Rhodes and Hammonds, um, if we if the stage has got room for it, we're, we're going to put it up there. And so that was kind of essential. And the second essential thing that we needed to have was everybody in the band. There's now five. Everybody in the band has to be a lead singer. Everybody's got to be able to, to handle solid vocals, um, no backing tracks, none of that phony stuff. We wanted it to be like you walk into, you know, the, the Fillmore in, in San Francisco and you see a band. Yeah, you know? that's great. When did the band form? How long ago? Uh, it was 2017. 
So you had a period of time with COVID where you probably weren't performing. I uh, well, we were working a little bit, but it was very frustrating because we yeah. were starting to to really gain some, uh, you know, some some movement by 2019. And then, you know, come on, everyone's got the same story yeah. pretty much. You know, it True. was shot down. But you tour all over because if you go to the website, yeah. you could see all, all the different touring schedules you have. It, does it make sense as a band? And I, again, this is probably a marketing decision, but... And excuse my voice, ladies and gentlemen, but I have a cold or something's going on. Has there been a, a location or a venue that you've performed in for more than one night? Because I know you're doing a lot of one-nighters. Is it the, is that a marketing yeah. decision or, or is it an no, audience decision? No, I or? mean, you know, we'll play anywhere they'll have us. <laughs> That's the marketing. <laughs> um, yeah, you're, but, coming, you're uh, coming to my house next week. I understand, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah sure. Yeah. Um, you provide the electricity. We're there. Absolutely. Um, I got it. We're easy. Uh, <laughs> you know, we we go we go where we can, and 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 when you're starting out, certainly a new project, you know, you, you don't turn anything down. You do as much as you can. Right. Um, there are some nights where we played a couple, you know, more than one mm -hmm. casino or, or example, but generally, you know, it's it's one and done, and then we move on. You know, or it could be two shows in one night at a casino for the late yeah, crowd. We've done that. Actually. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Is it just from a logistical standpoint? Does that get tiring where you have to pack up and you perform, which is the enjoyable part for you guys, but then you have to pack up and travel by bus, train, air, car, Most whatever air, it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to get to the next venue and city? Is that Does that get tiring over time? I, I guess physically, sure. There's a challenge to it, but it's, it's like, you know, you, you're not going to... You're not going to ride the horse unless you get on it. Yeah, true. So, you know, it's just par for the course. You could you could look at negatives, but they outweigh the positives. No, the ne the positives outweigh the negatives is what you mean. What did I just say? You said the reverse. You could look at the negatives, but the out oh yeah, the opposite. <laughs> but it Sorry about that. That's yeah, right. Yeah, in other words, you know, there right. there's some things you could say that are that aren't so great, right. but honestly, it 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 makes no difference. Once I'm, we get up on stage, we forget all about it. I'm glad one of us was listening to, to catch that. And you reverse. said you had brain damage. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's true. I think me? I do anyway. So you're also just a, as a side note, you're a keyboardist for the band Survivor as well, right? Yes. That's yes. a, isn't that a juggling act? You're 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 here one time uh, and then you're here at another it, time and. It it was before COVID. It was difficult. Survivors cut back. Uh, you know, has, uh, uh, you know, understandably, all the bands were cut back during COVID, and they've been slow to getting back up and running again. We we are going back out. We have a few more shows coming. We're also looking at uh, some Vegas things coming up. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a challenge as well. But you know, we work we work it out. Right. My my passion, my 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 true labor of love is KTEL. You know, and, and I love Survivor too. They you know, sure. obviously. But um but Survivor's not my band, you know. I, I'm the musical director, I'm the keyboard player, but it, it's, it's not, not my not material. Right. It's you know, it's it's Frankie, you know, Sullivan and Jim Peterick. It's it's their baby. In your case, it's KTEL forever. Yeah, I, I'm a lifer. I mean yeah. KTEL is, you know, I mean it, it's it's more than just a band playing songs from the seventies. It's, it's an actual show. It's an immersive 70s show. And we've written uh, an original show around mm -hmm. this material that we are basically, you know, resurrecting. Tell us a little bit about your background. So people understand where you're coming from because you, you grew up in LA, right? 
I grew up in Southern California. Yeah. Los Angeles. I started out. I've always been a musician. I started out as a singer many, many, many years ago. <laughs> Let's not say how many. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I, I wanted to be a singer. That was my thing. And um, as I as I learned more and as I grew, I realized I didn't want to sing other people's songs. So I started picking up guitar, piano. And all of a sudden, I realized that piano was just really a great voice for me. Um, I could, I could, when as a singer, you 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 learn how to communicate through emotion with your vo with your voice. And for me, I can do that, but just as easily on a piano. I found so I I started playing piano more and more and more. Unlike a lot of you know session guys and guys that tour, you know they start you know playing an instrument and they learn how to read and write music or whatever they do through their instrument. I learned backwards. Mm -hmm. I started as a singer and then went back and had a, had a kind of, you know, I already knew how music worked just from the years of theory and other things I was doing as a kid at that time. Uh, so learning an instrument was just a matter of getting my muscle memory up. And then, you know, I, I, I accidentally fell into a few acting roles. I was, I was a uh, original cast member of the karate kid uh, 1984. And that was kind of a fluke. I was on a show at the Roxy on sunset called too short for primetime players. <laughs> and it, and we were a bunch of kids and it was being produced by, I don't know, some producer. And it was a show that was being put on, on Sundays for children's birthday party matinees. Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe the Roxy had needed money or whatever. <laughs> and so every Sunday I got the opportunity to sing songs, write songs, help put the show together. I was probably the oldest one. I was 16. I was probably the oldest kid in the show. And it got uh, some traction. We got an eye on LA and there was some other news outlets that were, that started taking notice. And I got on the Merv Griffin show singing, uh, the best of times from sticks. And, um, I got a, I got an acting agent. I was short and looked young and they, they, they said, you know, you should be acting. And I'm like, I, I'm not an actor, but they sent me out on all kinds of stuff. In fact, um, Karate Kid wasn't the only movie. I, I was in another movie I actually starred in, which you can look it up. It's called Hot Moves. It, it was, you know, like a Porky's back back then. There were a lot of those. Are you getting residuals kind of, from any of that? Oh, yeah. Still, yeah. even today. Um, yeah. Yeah. Karate Kid has been um, what an experience that was. I, I mean, no one expected it. Right. Nobody expected that to be a a blockbuster you know let alone something that would come back decade after decade mm -hmm. um and and here's an interesting little twist that your listeners and viewers might think is kind of interesting because i do in 1984 survivor was on top of the world the band survivor they had eye of the tiger from rocky three the mm -hmm. year before and they were uh asked to do the theme song to karate kid which is the moment of truth and I didn't know who Survivor was really other than the Eye of the Tiger when I was 16, 17 years old. But 30 years later, I get a call from Survivor. And now I'm in that band <laughs> that was that had the uh, the theme song to the movie I was in, you know, 30 something, 40 years ago. It is kinda, amazing. I just think it's kind of kind of ironic. Yeah, it, it's a small world and time bends and you reconnect in all kinds of different yeah. ways. I mean, I couldn't have planned that if you tried. No, you couldn't. OK, I have to ask you the important question, which is, do you have. A copy, whether it's on an old videotape or now maybe it's a digital copy of your appearance on Merv Griffin. You know, I, I know where to get it. 
it's uh it you it uh it used to be um merv had his uh, merrill header productions mm-hmm. i think it was and they they have the I'd like. To, I don't have it anymore. I have a lot of my other stuff, but I need to get it now that you mentioned. Yes, it. I think Th- you they're going to charge me a boatload for it. But you know what? I, I, I need to get it. You pay it now and get it done with, and you've got it on digital yeah. form. And, I'm glad you fine. reminded me because it's one thing that I'm missing. From that. <laughs> um, yeah, write that down so you remember. But it was it, was, it, it aired on it aired, believe it or not, on Halloween on 1982, Amazing. and I was with Jerry Lewis. Jerry Lewis was this was the guest star. Amazing. And of yeah. course, to go full circle with that, Jerry Lewis was uh, has been on my show when he was performing oh, yes. in Las Vegas. A fascinating guy, which we'll, oh, t- yeah. we'll talk about later. But when you finally decided to put together with the other guys the KTEL All Stars, which I just it's just every time I say that I like I want to laugh because it just reminds me of the old KTEL commercials, as I mentioned earlier. Yeah, which by the way, we play commercials. From the era in between the songs. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Well, then I have to come just for the commercials. Yeah, you got to see the show. You got to see the show. It's well, more, you know, it's not just a great band playing the songs very accurately and really good. We take the music dead serious, but the show has got a tongue in cheek kind of vibe to it. Of course. It's not satire. It's, it's to, um, we're the, the mythos behind the band. And if you saw the opening, you'd understand is we've traveled in time to save rock and roll. Mm, okay. <laughs> little it, hubris, yeah. but we but we kind of mean it in a way. But it's also playful, I would think, in terms of your yes. approach. Not 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 um dismissive not, yeah. of the genre, but really playful with the genre. We're playful with it in the sense that, you know, we're we're not we're not letting the video be the only thing that's kind of playful. I mean, yeah. We have a good time with the material. But what's important to understand is there's a lot of these 70s bands, they're not like us, and most of them are satire. And that's that's really not what we're about. We're 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 very uh, accomplished musicians, and we're really proud of being able to reproduce this music to the degree that we do. How often do you change the song list? Do you occasionally add new songs? Constantly. In and take out? Oh, you do. Okay. Yeah, we have about 125 songs in our list, ever growing. And uh, if you come to a Ktel show, it won't be the same. We we you know we rotate them in and out. I mean, there's some songs that are like our big hits and we, we i call it the trifecta at the end of the show we do um carry on my wayward son and then we go into um bohemian rhapsody we play the whole thing we do all the vocals live and then for an encore we do uh dream on and for some reason those three songs just get the crowd so amped up by the end of the show that we've so one thing that we don't really change too much but most of the songs are interchanged and they're constantly being tailored to who's going to see the show bohemian rhapsody could be a show on its own it seems to go on forever it was was a meal to learn (laughs) yeah i bet (laughs) but i'm really we're really proud the fact that this band has really no limits um we set pretty high standard and a high bar for us and um there hasn't been anything that we've played. Now, here's the thing. We won't play a song that has instrumentation that we can't play off by the five of us. So you're not going to hear an Earth, Wind, and Fire song. Even though we might like to play one, we don't have a horn section. And we're not going to put it on track. That's just not who we are. Right. So if we can't... So so if you, we're not gonna, you're not going to hear songs like uh, Baker Street or something like that. Because it's all saxophone or, or logical song. Even though we've occasionally we'll try a few and put some guitar solos in place of the sax. If the sax is a an iconic sound in that song, it's probably not one that we're going to mm-hmm. play. 
Do you get feedback after the show from the crowd, A, for appreciation of the fact that you're not using tracks, and B, do you interact with the crowd in terms of signing autographs, pictures, talking with people, et cetera? Kind of yes to both. Uh, we have a meet and greet. We sell merchandise. People love to come up and take pictures with us. Sometimes there's people from the 70s that have popped in. You know, <laughs> Lindsay Wagner's come to our show. Uh, you know, the bionic woman. Yes, of course. Uh, we've had we've had uh, a lot of, you know, people like that that that, that have a that have sort of a, an interest in that era, obviously. Um, as far as uh, feedback goes, the best feedback we get is is honestly the reaction to people at the end of the show, uh, you know, usually they're on their feet and they're just like, I'm not trying to brag, but jaw on the floor. It's like, wow. I mean, the thing is, is that I think a lot of guys today, you know, people that are in bands, they, they rely on a lot of electronics that, you know, that you do, this is the era we're in. And we've made it an effort. We've made a very, very, you know, definite effort to, use the materials that were available in the 70s so when you see a band play you're not going to go see that you're not going to see the band that originally played this probably in the way that they did it in the 70s because they've got computers and tracks and other mm -hmm. things to to remind and we do our best to to just say nope we're not doing that when you look at the audience i would think that it's not limited to the demographic you would think it would be limited to. What I mean by that is that there are people coming and bringing their kids or their grandkids. Yeah. A yeah. Am I right or wrong? Or? You're absolutely. It's, it's similar to Survivor in the sense that, you know, you'll see three generations of people at a Survivor show. It's not that different for KTEL because even though you may not know who K a particular person, young person may not know what a KTEL is, their dad might or their grandfather, and they have handed those records down. And the other thing is you've got movies like Guardians of the Galaxy that have just completely used the entire soundtrack of the 70s. I mean, pretty much every song that's in that movie is in our set list just because it was so iconic in the 70s. The 70s was the last era, in my opinion, of authenticity. And I'm not saying that, you know, the 80s were, you know, the 80s were about hair bands and big hair and, and, and you know, the 90s, I don't know what the hell the 90s were about. But, you know, now it's, you know, artificial intelligence and creating tracks without having to learn how to play piano. So there's 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 I'm not saying that's bad. It's just a different evolution of the music. Mm -hmm. And I think the 70s was the last time that you would study an instrument and you'd play it in front of an audience. And I'm not saying there aren't artists that do that now, but it's not the norm. How often do you rewrite the show? I know we, we talked earlier about changing out music and adding new ones and taking other ones out, et cetera, and you have the trifecta, which you always keep. But do you also rewrite the show to some extent as you see new elements come in? The show is changed by virtue of the song list and the song order. Mm -hmm. So if we change the song, like, like, for example, we might know that it might be a more dancing kind of a crowd. We actually will play uh, a few songs from the 70s that were iconic, that were more dance numbers, even though we're more am AM rock. We do some dance stuff. It just depends on where we're playing and how we want to move the show around. But primarily, it's the, it's the music that's the focus. And the music dictates the video and dictates the show and how it goes. Before I let so you if go, we change it, go ahead. Sorry. If we change the set list, by virtue of doing that, we change the show. Before I let you go, how about the future of the band? You see still doing this five years from now, 10 years from now, the guys are all 
in it with you in terms of the enthusiasm? Yeah, uh, I, I sure, certainly hope so. I mean, right now we're we're uh, we're looking at trying to find a, a home base here in Vegas. Uh, we're looking at possible residencies. And we're really gracious that Ken Henderson from Notoriety Live has given us an op- a stage to bring this to ve- to Las Vegas. There's nothing like it, really. You've got other types of 70s bands, like I mentioned. We're not that. We're not like those bands. This is this is more of an authentic experience of, of, of a rock band in the 70s. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Jeffrey Bryan. He's bringing the Totally 70s Show, starring the KTEL All-Stars to Notoriety Live in Neonopolis, downtown Las Vegas, this Thursday, July 6th at 7.30. For ticket information, go to notorietylive.com. And for everything about the show, go to the totally70show.com. And for Jeffrey Bryan, go to jeffreybryanmusic.com. And you can follow him on Facebook and YouTube. And Jeffrey, thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Ira, for having me. I, I very much appreciate the time. You got it. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Yeah.